Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ooh, a spicy question. I <laughs> love it. Because the writing is sort of everything, right? Like, you kind of can fix plot holes, but if the yeah. writing is So some bad. readers love that, and some readers are like, but I wanted more of this. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a gamble. Hello and welcome back to the first recording of 2024 for the Right and Wrong podcast. Uh, and I'm very excited to be here with Associate Agent of the Darley Anderson Agency, Rebecca Finch. Hello. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi. Happy New Year. Thanks for having and me. You. <laughs> you're, you're so welcome. Um, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling oddly rusty, actually, now that, now that we've started about, about doing these interviews. <laughs> I haven't done one for a while now. Um, but anyway, let's get right into it. Associate Agent at DA, am I right in thinking you started at the end of 2019? Yeah, so I started November 19 as Darley's assistant. Um, uh, yeah, had sort of six months before um, the pandemic hit and yeah, first job on publishing and I've been here ever since. Wow. And just to, just to clarify for everyone listening, when you say Darley's assistant, you were, you, were, you were specifically talking about Darley Anderson of the Darley Anderson Agency. <laughs> yes, I am specifically talking about him. <laughs> okay, you weren't like an agency-wide assistant? No, no, I was his personal assistant um, okay. uh, and sort of still work across his list of authors um, and closely with him, yeah, on a lot of different bits and pieces. Yeah, because so from from the agents that I've spoken to previously, it feels a bit like they're sort of the two most tried and tested ways of becoming a literary agent are either moving sideways into it from another publishing role, usually editorial, mm-hmm. or you start out as an agent assistant, agency assistant, and and then that role kind of grows and shifts eventually into being a literary agent. Is that kind of where you are? Yeah, I would say so. I think from, uh, I mean, I obviously I've only got certain examples to pull from but that's uh, it kind of seems that there is that natural link obviously with the editorial side both of sort of um publishing in-house and then the editorial work that we do as agents so there is you know a really good fit there um uh, and so for everyone at our agency really has kind of started either coming straight in as that sort of in Tanner's case or with myself and my colleague Jade, who, you know, have both started out as assistants and then sort of developed and started building our own lists within the agency. Yeah. The industry kind of works on a sort of apprenticeship style thing where it's Mm. like you do the stuff, you do the stuff so you know how everything runs and how it all works. And in the meantime, you're obviously working closely with, you know, people like Darley Anderson or or any any of the other agents at, at at the agency. And that's how you kind of learn to do it. And then you slowly kind of transfer. Is there a sort of phase? And this, I, I guess, this is kind of where you're at now, where you're doing two roles. You're kind of you're you're still doing assistant stuff, but you are also now building your list. Yeah, I think it's conversations that I've had with lots of other, you know, sort of assistants that are in a similar position. And yeah, you kind of get to a point where you know I've got a few authors on my list now, but you know I am still very actively working with Dali and his authors, and I suppose kind of. 
I think my role has changed slightly in that, you know, I'm probably not doing quite so much of the admin side, but it's nice to have that kind of back up the security that, you know, knowing that I have a full team behind me as I'm kind of taking new steps forward. And actually I'm, I'm enjoying the balance of working across kind of two actually very, very different lists. You know, all of Dali's authors are very successful, very established and being able to see kind of what I would hope to maybe, you know, look to achieve in like 20 years time with my authors sort of, yeah, having it both more towards the end and more towards the beginning is is really interesting dynamic and balance. Yeah. So in your assistant work for Dali, do you do you do a lot of the kind of similar things that you would do with your own authors or, or do you, is it more kind of like admin stuff and, and, and Dali does a lot of that? Um, to be honest, it's quite, I would say it's quite similar across both. I mean, again, sort of with, um, I mean, I am more editorially focused and, you know, sort of with my authors, but I still do, you know, stuff like that for Dali. It's obviously he is the, the front runner in all of this, but, yeah, um, uh, yeah, you know, he's given me so many opportunities to work editorially on, you know, client care to do, you know, I've learned a lot about contracts, you know, about just, I suppose a lot of the background that is needed to kind of set up an author that I had, well, obviously no experience coming into it, but also that I wouldn't, yeah, I had no clue how much kind of stuff. I I just sort of like, oh, a manuscript comes in and then you're like, oh, amazing. Like, cool, we'll just pass that on to the publishers. Whereas he's taken a really active role in kind of nurturing me in, in the agency and sort of the wider industry. And yeah, giving me the kind of like starting building blocks to actually going forth and applying the things that I've learned from him to the work with my own authors. So there's yeah certainly now it's actually quite similar work across the two wow that's amazing what and, and what a, what an incredible kind of like established the person within the industry to be kind of mentoring you in that way yeah absolutely you know I'm incredibly lucky in that sense and I think in terms of the wider agency you know I absolutely fell on you know fell on my feet um uh, in terms of the commercial nature of the books that we do you know it's firmly where my passion lies um and actually I don't I, you know I often say that if I had been you know if I'd started out somewhere different I'm not necessarily sure that I would have enjoyed it or would have continued on in the same way you know he's got such a clear focus on what it is that makes you know successful commercial fiction and it's it's quite refreshing to be able to just have amazing sort of conversations and discussions about that rather than necessarily like oh this book is going to be groundbreaking for x or y reasons like no like this book is simply amazing and entertaining and that's what the readers want from it and that's yeah it's something that I'll never get tired of yeah i mean yeah incredible opportunity as you say you really landed on your feet there so when did you start um, and I appreciate this might be a kind of loose date, but when did you start <laughs> building your list? Um, so I guess we could go from your foot, the first author you signed. Yeah. So, um, the first author I signed was, uh, Donna Marchetti in, I think it was right at the end of 2021. Is that okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. I think I kind of been doing like two, roughly like two years um of assistant 
work purely and then yeah discovered her manuscript and kind of fell in love with it and that was the first person that I signed and then worked on that it it was a kind of it was a slower process I was learning an awful lot and then more sort of like from last year onwards then kind of started to more actively build authors and you know sort of I'm getting ready now to like really hit the ground running with taking things out on submission okay so so how many authors do you you have on your on your list now uh so I've got four now um uh, yeah and I think when I first started taking on clients it was very much you know um I wasn't actively open for submissions and sort of looking for things in that sense so it was more you know um I've been incredibly fortunate with, um, yeah, having the support of agents like Tanner Simons and she, you know, if things sort of felt like, Oh, actually like this could really work for you. You know, she was brilliant about sending stuff on. Um, so that was where I kind of started out. Whereas now, yeah, sort of in the last, I don't know, maybe eight months or so have fully opened up to submissions and that's been great. It's been really amazing to sort of see people and they're like, oh, we, you know, we found you for this reason. And, you know, we think really like this because, you know, you really like these books. So, yeah, that's, I think, sort of where the it really like I started to push forward and actively look for all more authors. It's really good to hear that. And, and I think this happens a lot of agencies, but it's easy for, for authors, especially querying authors to forget because it can be quite a daunting thing. But do do kind of all of the agents if they get a submission and they think this isn't for me but wait let me send this to one of the other agents is that quite a common thing yeah i mean within da we are hugely collaborative in that sense you know like i think it you know it goes the same sort of for those agents focusing on crime and then also sort of the agents focusing more on romance but we do have very clear interests and sort of delineations and tanner and i were very clear when we set up and what I was looking for and if you know stuff that came to me but actually really wasn't for me that would go to her and it's been brilliant um I think I don't know I mean I'm sure it does happen everywhere but yeah I think in terms of the support that I've had and also you know from people that are a few years a few years on from me a little bit more senior than me it's just nice to know that there is that collaborative aspect as well as they're kind of being a hierarchical one at the same time yes yeah yeah. and now i mean now's a great time for us to talk about who and what is actually on your list the kind of books that you are looking for the kind of authors that you are you are trying to sign so i would say that at the moment my list is well i mean my list will always be um very romance heavy but the way that i often will sort of try and like pitch it to people would be that I look for books at the kind of um new adult like sort of 20 something maybe into like early 30s market um more books that are like straight up romance novels that have that romantic storyline absolutely at their core not that I don't enjoy reading things that have a higher sort of story narrative that goes deeper into I don't know, other themes and sort of emotional backstory and context, but I, I just want things that are really fun, really escapist, you know, that kind of work for those people that are absolutely insatiable romance readers, you know, that will pick up a book and read it in an afternoon and then look for the next one and look for the next one. And I think that particularly of that 
slightly younger end of the market that is really coming to the fore with like, you know, with book talk and all of the information and sort of accessibility of so many titles now. I think there's such a space to be able to to tap into that and to bring those stories that perhaps previously had been <sighs> neglected is the wrong word because there's always authors that have been writing in that space. But I think we're guessing the recognition that they actually deserve now. And it's really exciting to be part of that. Yeah. So romance very much the core of kind of what what you like what you're looking for but yeah definitely you would be open to something that where maybe romance was the b plot yeah i think that would very much be more i am looking on the sort of fantasy end of the spectrum and where i think that's kind of where that would sit in terms of like your general contemporary kind of rom-coms like i definitely want the romance to be the central line but in terms of a yeah, sort of romancy fantasy story, having that incredible sort of world building aspect, a really strong, intelligent core character um, that's going to kind of take the plot forward and then having romance as a theme that is running throughout. That's kind of, yeah, I feel like there's more, there's more space within that to be able to play around with different themes and lots of other stuff, you know, found families or people coming into their own different power dynamics and sort of bringing in maybe some more like contextual ideas and sort of how it could relate to maybe current political themes, but all in very much like a commercial and fun way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there ever a world where you would sign a story that has no romance? Um, to be honest I mean probably not um (laughs) I think yeah it's I think there are so many smarter more qualified people to be able to bring those kind of books voices narratives to the fore um it's not an area at all that I excel in um and it's I suppose it's not an area that I massively read um and I think that that's you know if I'm pitching to authors and stuff that that's one of my things that I will always say is that I sign the books that I read I absolutely am obsessed with romance books like anyone that knows me knows that I almost never read outside of the genre you know okay. every once in a while I'll pick up something because I know that actually it will kind of test me a bit and like push my intellectual horizons but overall <laughs> I really just want the books that I know that I'm going to enjoy sort of like thinking about books more as I think about TV shows, something that's genuinely going to like really entertain me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So on from that, something that uh, is always interesting, especially for um, any writers listening who are querying or, or looking at which agents they want to query is how you approach uh, your, your submissions. So at Dali Anderson, the query package is, uh, what you would normally expect cover letter synopsis first three chapters um and it's only fiction right there's no non-fiction at Dolly Anderson no I mean we have done sort of some non-fiction projects in the past but um yeah our primary focus is commercial fiction okay and and all of that is done through the website dollyanderson.com on the submissions page it's all kind of built into the, the form and things like that so it's very easy to to get everything right you tick the agents that you want etc cetera, etc cetera. so when you sit down to have a session with your submissions of the different parts, the cover letter, synopsis, and the, the manuscript itself, where do you start and what are you looking for in each part? Hey Mel, Bri here. 
Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as I... Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. So, I will always start with a brief scan of the cover letter. You know, I just generally want to know maybe a couple of sentences, like what the actual hook of the story is. If there are any key bits of information that I need to pick out, you know, is it um, a queer romance? Is it, um, is there some other uh, underlying thread that will sort of uh, be really important? And I want to know about pretty much as soon as I start the novel Um, and also any comp titles. I find that so useful to know, you know, how the author sees what they've written in terms of where it would sit on a shelf versus how I'm actually reading it. So I'll do that. It will be a very, very brief scan. And it also then helps me to pick out ones that I'm like, okay, I really want to prioritise reading this. So yeah, then we'll kind of separate things out, have high priorities and then other ones that, you know, I really do want to read, but perhaps, yeah, they might sit slightly lower. And then from there I need it to be like completely death quiet um uh, and we'll just sit and sort of have like a couple of hours that I just kind of read and go through everything and if it's something that I like I flag it uh sit on it for a day and then we'll if I can still remember every aspect of the story and you know I'm constantly coming back to think about it then I will request further the only thing that I don't tend to read is the synopsis if I'm really on the fence about something then I'll read it and that's kind of why we ask for it at Mm -hmm. DA but I don't tend to read them straight up I don't really want to know what's going to happen I want to come at it as a reader would so I yeah I don't read a synopsis if you've got a really extensive blurb in a cover letter I also try and skim that um so that it's just a few sentences like it would be on the back cover if I was picking it up in a bookshop Okay. So the synopsis is kind of a the tiebreaker for you. Yeah. If I if I kind of like where something's going, but I'm not really sure what the you know, if the hook hasn't like really been introduced or perhaps one of the main characters hasn't been introduced, that's when I'll look at the synopsis and be like, Okay, right, I see where you're going with this and I'm you know, yeah, I really want to persevere or okay, that's not quite where I thought that that was going, but I can, you know, work that into sort of some feedback and send back to them if they wanted to resubmit that kind of thing. Okay. Okay. And you mentioned, uh, you love to see comparison titles in the, uh, cover letter. What do you have any kind of like do's and don'ts for comparison titles? Um, I would say that uh, what I really want, and I would, this probably goes for everyone at the agency, but we are a very commercial agency. So I want to see titles generally that, yeah, equate to that, that are in the charts or they're an author that, you know, has been a big brand, is a big brand, you know, has had a big book. And generally speaking, ones that are up to date, you know, I will always kind of, you know, you can you can recognize and pick out big titles from kind of 20 years ago. But I think particularly in genres that I'm working on, everything has changed and is moving very quickly. So actually, you know, titles that were very big sort of like five, 10 years ago and authors that were very big then 
there are other ones that are coming through and I kind of want to see that you've done your research that you've looked at what it is that you know I represent and the wider agency represents and have fed that back in okay is there ever a danger of because I know a lot of agents there's sometimes a danger of like going too big with your comparison title and the one that people often use as an example is like stop comparing yourself to Stephen King (laughs) do you ever get that kind of thing I don't know. I suppose, uh, I think actually, depending on like the context of the rest of your cover letter, like go big, like if, <laughs> you know, you've got to be the person that's going to be backing yourself. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and I think that it's actually a very attractive quality in an author. If you're, it's not arrogance, but you know, a firm belief in yourself because doubt, this, there will be so many other people coming back to you with no's that you've got to be the person that's actually going to advocate for yourself and to kind of stay the course in the face of all of that. So no, it doesn't really bother me that much. I think if it comes along the lines of this is the best book you've ever read and the, you know, I am the new Stephen King, then that's perhaps slightly <laughs> different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can see what you mean. Don't say that you're, you're like better than. <laughs> exactly. These are the people that I aspire to. Yes. I aspire to. And, and the other thing I've heard is don't say that there's nothing like this on the market. It's very unhelpful. Yeah. I mean, because guaranteed there will be. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's something to be said for having a unique plot, but some of the best books that I've read are I can think of a lot of other titles that, you know, draw comparisons with, but that doesn't make it any less entertaining, any less readable. You know, if you've got, if you've got a voice, if you've got characters and overall, if you've got a romantic plot line that people are going to get invested in, then actually the kind of main plot of the story doesn't matter as much. It's only kind of there as, or at least how I say it sometimes is that it's only really there to kind of draw you in on that initial bit it's like oh okay I see that tagline that sounds quite interesting I like the blurb I'll get into it but for me like the stories that will stick with me for much longer are the ones where I'm like I was so invested in their relationship those characters have like left me with you know a real sense of satisfaction or you know like a real emotional tie and actually I couldn't tell you really what happens in the story it's them that I've been focused on and I think especially if because you very much and the whole agency works very much in the commercial space Mm. that you know that's an audience that wants something that is familiar but with you know a new direction or like a new twist on it absolutely I think you know you've got so many other entertainment sources now that you're competing with you know Mm. people can flick on to whatever streaming service that you know they've got and be bombarded with a million other kind of easily watchable and digestible shows they're going out they're doing other things you know reading is a low priority so actually you want something that you kind of you know what you're going to expect you know you don't want to sit down there's nothing worse than sitting down and reading a book and realizing actually I've wasted a load of time on that and I didn't really enjoy it you know readers in this space are certainly looking for something that will go okay I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read it. I'm going to enjoy it. And then I'm going to sort of put it down and get on with the rest of my day. Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree. Um, that's really great. I did, I did want to ask, I noticed on the, on the submission form page on the website, there is a box that says, have you submitted to us before? Is a yes or no in that box? Does that kind of change at all how you view a submission? 
No, not really. I think it's more for us in terms of um, sometimes we will get multiple submissions to agents. Oh, sorry, other agents. So like, you know, Tanner and I have certainly had it where an author has submitted to both myself and to her. And it's just good for us, you know, if if something's working for one, but not the other or just so that we can have that conversation and we're not doubling up on feedback or in the unlikely scenario that we're both, you know, trying to offer rep for the same thing. So it's just, it's good to have that and sometimes get it where we have people that will be submitting, you know, kind of like 10, 20 plus submissions to us. And actually at that point, if there was probably something that we would see in the writing that we'd be like, okay, this book isn't for us, but I want to flag you as somebody that, if you resubmitted, I'd be really keen to read it. Or conversely, like, actually, we've read a lot of your submissions now and we're just probably not the right agency for you. Mm-hmm. It's good to have that. Okay. When, and when people do submit to the agency, do you encourage people to just submit to one agent or is submitting to, to two agents fine? We always really say just submit to one. Um, okay. I think because we, we do share a lot yeah. in-house and actually we yeah. do have different tastes, so... Yeah, that makes sense. Because it's easier for you guys. If, if you receive something, you say, oh, this would be great for so-and-so. I'm actually going to pass it along. Yeah, exactly. So heading towards the end of, of the of the episode, we are at the beginning of 2024. You are open to submissions. Are there any specific stories or characters or settings that you would love to see in your inbox this year? Oh, I mean, generally, I think on the sort of romance side of things I would love to see some more queer romance I've got a brilliant one that I'm working on at the moment and it's just it's been such a joy and just to have a sort of like deeply commercial story but told in a slightly different way and to get to know the characters and stuff it's been great and I would love to I'd love to do that more and to kind of bring wildly sort of underrepresented in the romance genre yeah, to have that more in the present um, and at the top of my list, that is something that I'm very, very much looking for. Um, uh, I would also really like a kind of like a spy romance. Okay. <laughs> or, I, do, I just read um, Ali Carter's new one and I absolutely loved her when I was growing up. The Gallagher Girls were some of my favourite books. And just something that's like kind of slightly different, a bit... Um, Catherine Centers new one, The Bodyguard. I thought that was a brilliant twist. So yeah, maybe like an an action romance would be fun. And then I think on the fantasy romantic side, I am so desperate for a pirate fantasy kind of setting. Okay. I just think like actually sort of having the seas, the the camaraderie of the crew, having like that really tight knit community would be so fun you know, perhaps a different play on the kind of like traditional Captain Hook villain and, you know, Wendy type female. I would just love to see something in that space. And equally, perhaps, I don't know why, I'm just very, very obsessed with like a desert kind of like really like hot setting for something like that. I think we see a lot of um, ones that feel almost like they could be set in like Ireland or like the you know mountains of Scotland or something yeah, but yeah. having something really hot and arid would be amazing like a fun June yeah absolutely like if it was actually fun and people were smiling <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know um June but just like with a bit of sparkle um <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
if everyone was just not so like intense <laughs> yeah just you know like june but like they crack a smile um <laughs> uh, that would be fun okay that, those sound really interesting as someone who's who pays a lot of attention to upcoming films and, and tv and stuff like mm. that pirates we've got there is a new Pirates of the Caribbean in the works. So that's interesting that you picked that. Yeah. And there's also a Mr. and Mrs. Smith television series coming out. Oh my gosh, is there? Yeah, so you're on the money. That is huge. Okay, <laughs> great. I'm. That will be firmly at the top of my list. I think, to be honest, I, the most of the stuff that I want now are kind of ones that I maybe read when I was younger and I actually just want an adult version of, which I'm sure is something that a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, for sure amazing would that i mean lots of great specifics lots of lots of exciting ideas for anyone listening to to kind of maybe spark some inspiration from um and that brings us to to the final question of the episode which as always is rebecca if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book which book do you hope that it would be so i've been thinking about this a lot um <laughs> uh, i've been trying to like gather like what other people might read and then realize that what everyone else was suggesting I definitely wouldn't want but I think I'm a massive massive rereader I you know some of my favorite books I've read probably like 20 times um so and I think the top one of that would be A Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J Maas Mm -hmm. um I think that's I would take her entire works with me and I genuinely would be quite happy to be deserted on an island with them all. But that's, I think, the only one that you could pick out as a semi-standalone. And I, every time I go back to it, the central character, Nesta, she has so many nuances. If I'm in one mood, I read it one way. If I'm in a different mood, I read it another way. Mm. Um, yeah, I could read it you know, a million more times and I would still find it so endlessly enjoyable. So yeah, okay. that would probably be mine. Is it more of a, you picked that one because it's a standalone. If you could, you would take, you know, one of the longer series. If I could take, I mean, that A Court of Thorns and Roses series as a whole is my favourite one of hers. Okay. Um, and so I would take that when she finishes it <laughs> in its entirety. <laughs> yeah. But um, the, I think that is my favourite of that series. So yeah, like gone to my head if I had to pick one, then it would be that. <laughs> I did see on a, I think it was on the blog post on the DA website, you, you had a few like honorable mentions on a similar kind of question and you, <laughs> and you mentioned, uh, a monster calls Patrick Ness. I, that is, I, I think that's probably the book that has had, you know, like when people say like, Oh, like what's a book that changed your life or mm-hmm. something. And I was actually listening to Felicity Truths, um, episode oh, yeah. and sort of listening to her talking about it. I completely agree. It's, I think it's something that everyone should read. I think it doesn't matter, you know, if it's the specific sort of scenario in the book is something that you're facing or if it's just, you know, you want something that actually gets to, it's just got so much heart and it just brings forward so much emotion, but in a way that's so intelligently done and also actually so accessible, you know, you don't get to the end and you go, gosh, what on earth happened? Yeah. It's, there's a sense of completeness when you finish that is just remarkable. Yeah, I did a, a whole sort of like art project on it at school. Like the illustrations add so much to it. Um, oh, I'm not sure I've yeah. seen many of the illustrations for it. They are incredible. And I think because it's a, you know, it is like a young adult book, really. Um, and so it feels quite novel to have something that is so intensely illustrated in what is actually like a, a longer form book. Um yeah. 
yeah, so that would that would be another one if I could take it. Yeah, that's it. it just I had to mention that one because that I'm I'm the same way. That mm. when when someone asked me like, what's a book that like affected you and like kind of changed the way that you view yourself in the world? Like that that book's the first one that comes to mind. Absolutely, it leaves you with this uh, for, for me at least so much introspection after reading it and just kind of like looking back at myself and how I kind of interact and interface with challenges and things in, in life. Yeah. And I think sort of like the mini stories within that were just so you can read them in so many different ways. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, what you think is one thing is actually so different. And yeah, I could talk about it forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we could we could just gush about this for hours. But yeah. It, it, for anyone who hasn't read Monster Calls, you must, you must. I think it's if it's it's probably not the book I would take to the desert island, but I think it no, is I think the I'd be too depressed, but book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the book that I recommend to people the most, I think by far. Mm -hmm, definitely. When people ask me for book recommendations or if I just feel like giving unsolicited book recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really shoving it down people's throats. Like you yeah. must read this. Because because I honestly think I honestly think everyone should read it. You know? Yeah. I, you're right. hundred percent right. Anyway, uh enough gushing. Um, um <laughs> that brings us to the end of the episode and um thank you so much rebecca for for coming on and and telling us all about your kind of journey and what you're doing in in da and everything that you're looking for on your in your list it's been awesome chatting with you no thank you for having me it's been great and for anyone wanting to keep up with what rebecca is doing you can follow her on twitter at becca underscore finch that's becca with one k and on instagram at rebecca dot finch again rebecca with one k uh, to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast follow along on twitter instagram tiktok and facebook you can support the show on patreon and for more bookish chat check out my other podcast the chosen ones and other tropes thanks again to rebecca and thanks to everyone listening we'll catch you on the next episode pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.